morning, MVCC. Before we get started with today's service, I want to tell you about an amazing event that we are having at MVCC on Halloween. We're having a drive-through event where there's going to be candy, carnival games, and the best part is you can enjoy all of this from the safety of your car. So to sign up for volunteering or even just to register, you're going to head over to our website. We really hope to see you there. You're amazing, grace and relief. 
so excited to have you here with us this Sunday morning. If you're new with us this morning, we want to connect with you. So go ahead and text CONNECT to the number on your screen and fill out that CONNECT card so that we can get in touch. 
Something that makes us an amazing church is that we serve together. If you're interested in serving and you want to get some more information, go ahead and text SERVE to the number on your screen so that we can get you involved. Just because worship has ended doesn't mean we have to stop worshiping. One way that we can continue in this amazing time of worship is through giving. We've tried to make this as easy as possible for you, so you can either go to our mobile app or our website to give. Pastor Mike has some amazing things in store from the Word today, and we want to hear what it's all about, so let's head on over. Well, welcome. I'm so glad that you could be with us today at Mission Vale Christian Church. Now, we're in the middle of a series, a message series called Dangerous, and it's just simply a walk through the letter of Philippians written by the great Apostle Paul. The reason that I chose Dangerous is the more that I read this letter inspired by the Holy Spirit, written by this great Apostle who was on house arrest for two years, he was under some pretty difficult situations, a lot of adversity and a lot of opposition, yet his life was still dangerous to the enemy and dangerous to the world around him, meaning in a good way, he was living for Christ at every moment in every possible way, no matter what the circumstance. And it was something about Paul. He just found this deep-seated joy that was in his life. And I think that was what made him so, if you will, unattractive to those that were in religious power and political power in the day. And so this particular text we're, we're going to look at is verses uh, 27 to 30 in chapter 1. And I've entitled this, um, Whatever Happens. Now, before we get there, I just want to set the stage um, about what was happening with the Apostle Paul. As I mentioned, he was on house arrest, really not for breaking any laws. He was on house arrest simply because he was advancing the good news of Jesus Christ. And it was starting to cramp the style of those religious leaders who had a lot of power and control over the people of that day. So they didn't like Paul. So they were constantly devising plans to try and throw him into prison and even take his own life or take his life. Um, also, the political world was against him. Uh, the Roman government didn't like him because he was gaining a lot of popularity with the people, and it was just causing a lot of confusion in their eyes. So Paul was constantly under persecution, and he was under all this adversity and all this opposition. So this particular um, set of verses that we're going to read was written to the fact that these believers in Philippi, the city of Philippi, Paul loved them, and he cared about them, and he wanted them to keep living for Christ, even though they were going to experience, as he could tell, they were going to experience the same kind of opposition. So he writes this letter as an encouragement, but also a challenge to keep living for Christ. So we're in chapter 1, verses 27 to 30, knowing the background of the, the letter, and now we'll read the text. Paul writes this, Whatever happens... Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. And this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. There's a lot of opposition that's going against Christianity. And you can see through this letter, Paul is wanting the people to be encouraged, but also challenged. Look, stand firm, be one in the spirit. You're going to have opposition. My father um, was a great man. He was just... Um, 
He lived a life of integrity and honesty and character, and, and I saw that in his life. And I remember my dad really didn't have an easy life. When he moved out from California, um, he worked his way up the corporate ladder, and he did that all through just really, really hard work and a strong work ethic. And I remember he would tell me when I was a young boy, he would say these words, anything worth having, Mike, usually doesn't come without opposition. And I believe that to be true. I'm often intrigued with people who um, have opposition and adversity against them, and they're able to overcome. And I always wonder, what is it that's inside of them that gives them the ability to overcome? I think about um, a biblical narrative in the Old Testament in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Jehoshaphat is a prophet of God, and they were in a really good place, the people of Judah, Israelites were in a good, good place. But what Jehoshaphat did not know is that the Moabites were planning to attack him 25 miles away. It just when he was just getting ready to relax and everything is going good, man, there's this secret, you know, opposition that's coming against him. And, and this is what I love in the 20th chapter. It says this, a vast army, his men is telling him, a vast army is coming against you. But this is what I love about Jehoshaphat. It says, alarmed and resolved, he inquired of the Lord. He went right to the Lord. He was concerned, but he wasn't panicking. And I, I just wonder if there's anyone that's maybe listening to this or watching this that ever felt like there's an army coming against you. There's a conspiracy against you. There's the schemes of the enemy. It seems like there's a season where there's opposition constantly at your door. Well, the Apostle Paul certainly knew this. As we mentioned, he was on house arrest um, for not breaking any laws, but simply advancing the gospel. And Paul was definitely labeled. In that day, he was labeled as a traitor. He was labeled as a heretic, a rebel rouser, and a sellout to the Jewish faith. I just wonder if any of us have ever felt like we're labeled. You know, I just think there's a shift, a, a cultural shift, but also a spiritual shift even in our nation that there's this opposition that is just coming around the corner and it's getting more intense, intense against Christianity and against Christians and against the church. I mean, I certainly have felt at times and heard narratives like, well, you Christians, church people, Christian people are very narrow-minded people. Um, you're hateful, you're judgmental, um, you're always talking but never listening, you don't accept any, anyone else's views, and that's simply not the truth for genuine believers. Um, I, I've seen Christians who are the most loving, caring, merciful people who will listen to people's problems for hours. Um, much to the contrary, that is what the enemy wants to do, is he wants to plant those seeds and have this huge uprising against Christianity to try and stop the church. I read an article in North, about uh, a city in North Carolina, a board of directors, city council members, that were having the same meeting once a month for 50 years. And they always open their meeting with two things, the Pledge of Allegiance and with a word of prayer offered by one of the local pastors. Well, this particular week, there was a spe specified group that was watching the city council meeting that was going on, and they filed a lawsuit. And they said, hey, you cannot pray in Jesus' name because that's bias, and you cannot have the Pledge, pledge of Allegiance anymore, and they won. Christians are becoming the minority. You know, I was flipping through the um, YouTube channel, um, this is uh, a couple of years ago, and I happened to just, I uh, was uh, looking at National Day of Prayer, and I happened to look at our National Day of Prayer here in Mission Viejo that we've been having over the past five years. I didn't realize that at one of the council meetings there was an atheist 
um, that had uh, asked for a word to speak to the city council about the National Day of Prayer. This is where 2,000 people showed up. The city was gracious enough to allow us to use one of the soccer fields and baseball fields for the previous years. And uh, it was just great, you know, people coming together to pray for one reason. We need revival in our nation. Well, this particular person who was an atheist was coming against the city and complaining um, by the fact that there were um, uh, 2,000 people that showed up for a prayer meeting, and they, she figured out that we used 350,000 square feet of the soccer field and parking lot, which funneled out to 10.5 hours at a rate of $25 per hour that we should have been charged. And so she was filing a lawsuit against the city council that they approved this National Day of Prayer saying that we should have been charged $51,765. Now, my question is, what harm was done at a prayer meeting? We were there for a couple hours, 2,000 people asking for God's help over our nation. I don't really, you know, I don't, I'm not mad at that atheist. I, I'm not angry at this person. I really feel sorry for them because I really don't know what they're doing. My point is this. It seems that Christianity is, there's more opposition and, and, and there's more false narratives against what once was determined as right and good and holy. 2 Timothy 3.12 says this, In fact, anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So Paul was not a stranger to opposition. And that's why he writes this letter here to the Philippian people. In fact, I'm reminded when Jesus said in John 16.33, In this world you will have trouble, but take courage because I have overcome the world. So Jesus here explains through the Apostle Paul and the power of the Holy Spirit that um, if you've ever felt opposition in your life or feel like there's someone coming against you in your faith, um, there's some principles that we can learn out of this. I, I love the fact that he says, look, whatever happens, whatever happens in your life, in your circumstance, in your world, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. I want you to live your life, pattern your life after Jesus Christ and the gospel that Jesus represents. What is the gospel? The gospel is simply the good news. It's the good news that we were lost because of sin, and now we've been found, and Jesus Christ died on the cross, and he rose again on the third day to save us. And the moment that we receive Christ, when we step out in faith and believe in him and give our hearts to the Lord, we are now saved. That's good news. The good news is once we were lost, and now we were found. Our life, what he's saying here is, I want you to conduct your life. Live your life in light of the gospel, the good news. So that tells me that our lives as Christians and as a church, we ought to reflect good news. It's not bad news. And we ought to reflect the fact that God is a good God, that He came to save us. He loves us. And He wants a relationship with every person through faith in Jesus Christ. So I see Paul here. The first thing he says is, I want your life to be consistent. Let your life and your message match. You know, I'm thinking about in the scripture where it says that Jesus was one who spoke with authority. I don't think it was the volume of Jesus' voice or the tone in his voice that people were following him by the thousands. I think it was the fact that Jesus' life matched his message, and people were attracted to that. They're willing to listen to him. They're willing to follow him because the religious leaders of his day would say one thing and do another. And, 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 and God is definitely telling us, look, if, if you want change in your land, if you want your nation to turn around, if you want your life to be turned around, your, your family, your school, where, wherever you might find yourself, 
live a life that's consistent with Jesus Christ? Am, am I loving? Am I acting in kindness? Am I taking others into consideration first? Am I not thinking highly of myself? All those qualities that Jesus Christ taught us in the scripture. Does my life reflect Jesus? Secondly, I think he's um, very clear here that he wants the people in Philippi to be unified. In fact, um, he even says, I want you to stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. That tells me that we need to get together if we're going to stand firm together. And that tells me that friendships and relationships within you know, God's people and the family of God are really, really that's vital. It's really, really important. That's why we're always just, you know, get in a life group. We have these small groups. And these small groups are not just Bible studies, but they're, they, we do life together. We come together. We support each other. We encourage each other. And, and we're striving together. And, and, and we struggle together and go through life's difficulties with someone that we can lean on. And I just, I just love the fact that Paul is reminding the people, look, you got to stay together and stand firm together, together, together. So what do we stand together in? I'm so glad you asked. In, in chapter 1, he just goes over and over and over again. It's very clear that Paul says, look, your unity has got to be in the gospel. The, the unity is not in the smaller, the, 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 the minor things, decisions that we make. Our, our unity is simply in the essentials of who God is, what the Bible teaches, and the good news of Jesus Christ. An example of that is when we come into a worship service or we're part of a church family, there's no way we're going to agree on everything. That's impossible. But we have to agree on certain things. This book, this Bible is definitely the Word of God. We agree on that. We agree on the fact that there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We agree on the fact that Jesus Christ is God in flesh. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, and then verse 14. We, re- we believe that Jesus physically died on a cross, that he physically arose again for the, for the uh, uh, remission of sins for the entire world. We believe that. We believe that the Lord Jesus is coming back a second time. We don't know when that is, but those are what we call the essentials of the faith. And so we believe together and we're unified together on those, those things. So we work together to advance what Paul says, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, particularly here at MVCC, we hear about one thing. We want to make disciples who make disciples. And our vision that very clearly we heard from God is that we want to display real love on mission. We want to be genuine and real with people who maybe don't know who God is. We want to show them love for free. And and thirdly is that we want them to see that, man, we have a purpose in life. We're on a mission, a mission from God to love people for free and bring them to the good news of Jesus Christ and to help them to grow in their relationship with, with Christ. So he says there in verse 28, look, you're going to have opposition, you're going to have adversity, but don't be scared. Don't be afraid. The Christian has no fear. We're not afraid. Um, and so what do we do out of all this? I think, I think number one is that we don't always have to fight every fight. Just because there's opposition doesn't mean that we have to necessarily get in the fight, but it does mean we have to face the opposition. Now that's huge because I think sometimes the church is famous for hiding pretending things aren't really happening. I think that we should face opposition, but we face opposition the way Jesus faced the opposition. I think number two is that sometimes it takes more faith to not fight, not to jump into a fight so quickly, but to stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in what you believe in. Stand firm in the convictions that God has given you. 
And I think it's, it's, it's vital that when there's persecution against us, it's even more important that we stay in that word, we stay in the word of God, that we stay in close fellowship with other believers, and that we adopt a lifestyle that, that looks like Jesus Christ. I think of two things, um, and then we'll wind this down, is that Jesus, Jesus' example is, is the best. His is golden. I'm thinking about when there was opposition against him, and he walks into the temple in the Gospel of Matthew, and he sees that inside this temple, which he has created for worship and people to connect with God and come to know God and, and, the, and the true worship of, of the God of the universe. They're selling things uh, in the name of God and they're ripping people off doing it. They're lying to the people. They're not using it as a house of worship. And Jesus overturns the tables and he drives everybody out of the, out of the temple and he basically says to them, you have made this a den of thieves. My house should be called a house of prayer. I mean, that's, that's definitely a case where we see Jesus med the opposition head on. But then I'm thinking of another time when moments before Jesus would be crucified for us because he loves us and he wants that relationship with us. And the only way it could happen is Jesus had to be the sacrifice. And, and literally, it's, it's, it's minutes before he is to be nailed to a cross and he stands before um, the high priest. And the high priest is, is questioning him and opposing him and grilling him. And he even says in, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, aren't you the Christ? Aren't you the anointed one of God? Don't you know I have the power to crucify you? And I love verse 61 and 62. It says, Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. See, there are times that we can meet opposition head on. And sometimes God may call us to fight, but he fights the battle for us. There are other times when it's just best to remain silent, let our lifestyle speak for itself, let the Word of God speak for itself. Now, in any opposition, in any kind of adversity, it's easy to fall into the trap of thinking, well, you know, one person doesn't matter. How, what, can, what difference can one person make? Well, consider this. A guy by the name of Telemachus. It was 400 A.D., and the Christians were being thrown into the lion's den, literally. It, it, it got so bad that they made a sport out of this. And the lions literally would rip the Christians into pieces. They would annihilate them, kill them. This Colosseum is packed on this one instance. And as they made a sport out of this, there was one Christ follower that was sitting in the stands. And he had this conviction. He kept feeling and sensing, this is wrong, this is not right. He kept sensing as I read the, the account that he was just having this urgency about standing up for what's right and what's wrong. And so at that moment, he stood up and he ran down inside of the arena. And this is what he said, In the name of Christ, forbear, stop! And without hesitation, he made the decision to stand up against the opposition for what was right. And the officials quickly called, they thrust a sword straight through his chest, and they killed that man of God. Blood spilled the arena floor. But what I love about this is that one courageous person facing opposition for the faith that he believed in Christ, willing to stand on the word, a few months later, they ceased the sport of throwing Christians into the lion's den. One person made a difference. I, I want to encourage us that 
you know, the walls may be closing in. Politically and religiously and in our world, it, it seems like it's, it's getting worse and worse and worse against the church and against Christianity. But let us remember the words of Jesus. Blessed are you when people insult you, when they persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. So, Father, I thank you so much for the power of your word and the encouragement that it brings us, God. I thank you for the example of Paul that he was courageous in, in, in encouraging the, the body to, to the people of God to be unified. And God, I pray that we can have that same sense, God, that same sense of urgency to stand up for what is right and have the discernment to know when opposition's coming our way. Lord, you tell us what you want us to do. We just want to advance the gospel at any cost. Whatever happens, we want the gospel to advance. In Jesus' name, amen.